There's no doubt that small businesses are the foundation of our communities. That's why MasterCard has invested in tools to support small business owners as they grow their business. With MasterCard tools and resources, you can increase sales by shortening checkout time, broadening your customer base, and tapping into new opportunities to increase customer loyalty. So get started. Discover all the ways MasterCard can help guide, grow, and protect your business at mastercard.ca forward slash small business. Zensurance is Canada's leading commercial insurance broker, providing small businesses, startups, and entrepreneurs with the coverage they need. We shop over 50 insurance providers, meaning we help small businesses across hundreds of industries save on their annual premiums. Simply visit zensurance.com forward slash startup, and in just a few minutes, you could save up to 35% on the customized policy you need. That's zensurance.com forward slash startup. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, a weekly show serving Canada's entrepreneurship community. I'm your host, Rick Spence, business journalist, editor, public speaker, and entrepreneur. After 15 years as the national entrepreneurship columnist at the National Post, and as the former editor and publisher of Profit, the magazine for Canadian entrepreneurs, I've learned what makes Canadian startups special, scalable, and successful. On this show, we connect you with Canada's most innovative and entrepreneurial leaders and changemakers. You'll meet the people driving the entrepreneurial movement and we'll share their first-person adventures and their tips, hacks, and best advice for running startup and growth companies. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada, the national rallying community for Canada's 3.5 million entrepreneurs. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. To entrepreneurs everywhere, this is your show. Entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. On the show today, we're thrilled to have Tara Haddad of Vancouver-based Modern Plant-Based Foods, formerly known as Modern Meat. Tara is an accountant and entrepreneur who has 20 years of experience building successful companies in the public and private sector. At EY, or Ernst & Young, Tara managed sectors in audit, tax, and risk management. She currently provides strategic consulting to multiple companies. Before Modern Meat, Tara founded Aspire Learning Center, an educational company focused on math and language arts prior to its successful buyout. But mainly, Tara is the founder and CEO of Modern Plant-Based Foods, which focuses on creating plant-based meat alternatives that are non-GMO, soy-free, gluten-free, and preservative-free for the earth, for the animals, and for human health. Tara, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me on the Startup Canada podcast. It's great to be here. We're delighted to have you here and to, to, to find out about this f whole fascinating industry that, that, that you're involved in. Before we get started uh, on that, though, can you tell us, to make sure that our uh, listening audience stays riveted to this show, what are the top pieces of advice that you hope that, that they'll take away from this conversation? Well, I think entrepreneurs are a special breed, and I do believe that um, for entrepreneurs to be successful, one of the things they need to have is passion and really believe in their product. So I think that's what 
gets everyone to persevere, you know, keep hard work and be resilient and not to let all the different um, aspects of, you know, a business that's in a startup phase, which can be a multitude of different problems to overcome and overwhelm and to cause you to give up. So I think that's one thing is just um, being passionate and um, really believing in yourself as well as the work that you're doing. Fabulous. Tell us about your entrepreneurial journey. What inspired you to start Modern Meats and get into this fascinating plant-based uh, food industry? Um, I think the main thing that really triggered my interest was that I w I've always been a foodie. I have cooked for my family, like, you know, for the last um, 20 years. And I noticed that there was a little bit in of a gap in the market for healthier, nutritious, flavorful plant-based products. You know, some of my friends would say, hey, have you gone to this restaurant and tried any of these plant-based um, burgers and, you know, some of our competitors? And I would go and try them and I said, oh yeah, it's, you know, it tastes good. But then when you read the in uh, ingredients and the uh, nutritional fact table, you're like, oh geez, I don't really want to be eating that. I don't want to be um, feeding my family um, these kinds of products. And then also I had my own health concerns and that I was trying to become more plant-based because of that, you know, I, the doctors are like eliminate more red meat and try to be more on the plant-based, but then eating some of those other ones with high fat and they had sodium, high levels of sodium, they all have sodium, of course, um, additives and preservatives. It didn't really make sense for me to transition. So, um, I was, you know, obviously motivated by my own health concerns, well-being of my family, but then also looking at um, understanding more and researching on sustainability that it just seemed like the right way to move and to look at the food supply chain that this is the future of food. Um, so I, you know, just researched and there were quite a few meat alternatives on the market here, but because they weren't as healthy as they claimed and I didn't really trust the kind of ingredients that were in there. Um, I had embarked on talking to a few different chefs. Um, I mean, I've worked through 10 different chefs um, to date. And we, I said, this is what I want in the products. I want it to be, you know, low, low process. I want it to have great ingredients with, you know, lower sodium, no additives, preservatives, be non-GMO, non-gluten, no soy, all these different things. So it really was such a like grassroots project and we had no experience in making something and unknowing what there was to make so it was more like okay we don't want to be a food tech we, I wanted to be a chef because I don't want it to be in a lab with scientists because I also wanted to be have ingredients that I can read people can buy them in, in the supermarket um, you know made with whole food ingredients that you can actually pronounce and understand so I kind of went on this project to create these products and that was over two years ago so that's kind of how it started fantastic now did did you think it would be a business did you think i'm going to start a business or were you just sort of trying your testing the waters so to speak in the beginning i wasn't because i actually um had started writing like food blog little posts and stuff like that for myself and you know i've always kept like a a diary of every it's kind of like a food journal of everything that I've cooked for the last 10 years so I have kind of you know and if you look back everything's I've really transitioned with many different types of foods so kind of like what I cooked 10 years ago I don't generally even make now um, so I just thought it was more of like a hobby passion project 
wanting to make healthy foods and I love feeding people. So I thought this was great. Um, so kind of just went through with chefs, um, to go, we went through hundreds of renditions to make these kind of like healthy gourmet quality plant-based foods. But I, I thought maybe, um, you know, it was starting out, I, as a small business, but then kind of just grew into what it is, which I'm sure we can talk about later. But, um, yeah, I wasn't initially thinking it would be an actual like full on like big company that it's become. It was more of a, more of an artisanal type food that I'd like to, to make. So it was a company, but not into the extent of what we've done now. So give us an idea of, uh, what's on the menu. We have, um, like a plant-based burger, um, burger and a slider, and we have meatballs, so these are all plant-based. We have crumble, which are great in things like tacos and spaghetti bolognese and lasagna and things like that that you'd use ground beef for. Uh, we also have a crab cake, and we have um, plant-based gyozas, which have been just nominated um, as finalists for product of the year by BC Food and Beverage. You've just done a breakfast a breakfast sausage. Yeah, too, coming right? to that. Um, breakfast sausage is new. And the breakfast sausage is available in food service, but it's not available until mid-September for grocery stores. So yeah, we have a lot of different products, new ones, and um, and we're constantly doing R and D for you know kind of the new and up and coming products. And I saw that your your products are available uh, on retail stores in the Toronto area. Is it right across the country? Um, right now we focused on British Columbia. We're in Alberta and we are in, um, uh, Ontario, but we are, those are the only three provinces that we're currently in. We're in talks with, um, a couple of national distributors. So hopefully that will get us across all across Canada. Right. Fabulous. So tell us about what you're seeing in this space. I mean, I, I hear about obviously plant-based, uh, meat alternatives all the time. And there are some there are already some well-known brand names in the in in this space. How fast is this market growing, and 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 what is the niche that you occupy in there? Yeah, the, I mean, this market is growing extremely fast. Um, it's slated to be twelve billion dollar um, by twenty twenty five. Our ingredient profile, I think, really sets us apart from the competition that's currently out there. We use simple, natural ingredients. Um, we try to all our recipes are crafted from like real whole foods. We don't use soy. We don't use gluten, uh, nuts or GMOs. Um, so I think that's a little bit different than some of the competitors in the market. If you see that some might have soy, some might have gluten, some are, they incorporate nuts and gluten is, um, like the vital wheat gluten is a great substitute for, um, a meat like imitation product. But we also feel that it's such a high allergen and inflammatory, um, ingredient that we, or like right away did not ever even go there. And that really causes some delays because using that would have gotten us to the market faster, but then we tried to use as much R and D to kind of get away from that fillers either or chemicals in our products. So what's the substitute for gluten, if I can ask, or rather many and several? We use pea protein as the protein content, but we use it a specific process that is specific to modern meat in terms of how to make it so that it stays together. Um, so initially when we first started, we had a problem with keeping the burgers together. They would um, kind of fall apart. So now we've kind of perfected the process in that sense where, you know, you can throw it on the barbecue, you can throw it across the room. It's still kind of like 
sticks. It, it's like a real burger. So um, it's just been a lot of R&D. So we still have, you know, stayed with grassroots type of ingredients that we wanted originally and have created them in this in this manner. That's very cool. A lot of people might not know that Canada is the world's largest producer of peas. Do you use Canadian peas? We do. Yeah, we use uh, pea protein. It's out of Ontario. Ah, fantastic. I think you're in this for the the health, but also for the environment and for the animals. So tell us a little bit about uh, about what, what drives you there. Yeah, I mean, with animal agriculture, one of the, it's just not only agriculture, but even with animal welfare, when you look at pigs, for example, it's the number one consumed animal product worldwide. So maybe not in Canada, but if you look around the world. So the U.S. leads the charge with 121 million um, pigs that are slaughtered per year. And so we have a really great pork simulated product with we have the breakfast sausage as well as we have the gyoza, which both simulate like a pork based product. So just thinking about like having a small change would make a big difference so if everyone incorporates this just like electric cars it's really helping environmental um, impact with not with animal welfare obviously with all the the consumption of it by um, you know the majority of the people in the world but also it will help climate change in a big way because we don't also will have as much greenhouse gases and as we know cows emit the most greenhouse gases that cause the um, the accumulation of it in the atmosphere. So I think that's one thing that is really important to note is that by just decreasing a small amount, if everyone did that a certain amount every week, it would really help with the climate change and the environment. Right, right. How, how much education do you find your, your, your company is doing in the marketplace? Or is it enough is, is the trend strong enough? You don't have to do that. No, no, no. I think every, it's like plant-based is still new. I think the food supply is moving towards that. But I also think that the majority of the people um, don't understand um, the effects of moving plant-based and how this ha- assists with not only your health, but it also is for sustainability for future generations as well as for animal welfare. Like, I think that's kind of like an older, you know, thinking to be constantly eating animal products. So I think it's one thing that's really important to note, um, is that basically we want to be being to be sorry, more, um, in line with all three of those aspects. So I'm a father of two vegetarians and, uh, they were, became part of this movement because of the animal factor that they love animals and couldn't believe uh you know the behaviors that we tolerate or (laughs) remain ignorant about in order to enjoy our burgers but as the father of two vegetarians and i'm delighted to see more plant-based options uh in in this store because i do a lot of the grocery shopping but the plant-based alternatives still cost you know quite a bit more than 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 the real thing and i'm just wondering if you see that as a problem or and and if it is is it changing i definitely see it as a problem uh like our goal would be to have every household in canada you know be able to afford and um consume our plant-based products and have them in everyone's kitchens because we feel like obviously yeah there are people there's so many different ways if you want to be 
be plant-based in terms of what your motivations are. So some are health, which I think is great because it also spans many different demographics and also age categories. Um, but animal welfare, because of all the inhumane types of butchering and things like that and slaughtering of the animals and um, also for sustainability. So if you look at all three facets, it is really important. So I think if I were um, completely because of the animal welfare, I would want to be plant-based, but then also it is important to look at the pricing because they are, it is significantly more expensive. You look at the burgers, some of them are, you know, upwards of eight ninety nine for two, but you can get beef, you know, at any type of quality for a lot lower. So I think for us, we're really trying to go with um, as much as possible to reduce the pricing. And one of the main reasons why the pricing is so expensive is because the ingredients are very expensive. So if you look at the texturized pea protein, which we do use in a lot of them, a lot of um, companies use it, it is such a new process. So it's actually quite expensive to purchase the ingredients and you want quality local ingredients. Um, so you are getting a lot high, higher quality product. But the, the downside is it is more expensive. So if you look at, um, for us right now, we have, this is part of like scaling up and obviously with a bigger scale up process, you will have a lower price point. But because these are quite new and um, if you're making artisanal products and you're using labor instead of line equipment, it's going to be significantly more expensive. So I think as we grow, it is the prices are definitely going to decrease. Well, that's good news. So, so I guess there's, it sounds like there's two aspects to that. One is the ingredients that you get. Hopefully, as people get, as people and companies get better at it, and they're able to automate more of it and do it in greater volume, that'll come down, and hopefully, you'll start making some some volume efficiency gains as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, well, that's good news. Okay, glad to hear that. The way I understand it is you were mainly the, serving the food service industry before COVID-19 came along and jolted us uh, exactly. uh, out of our seats, but <laughs> rooted to our homes. Uh, so, so tell us a little bit about that strategy and then how you've pivoted since. Yeah, we started in food service. We had a couple of contracts initially because we had gone to a trade show and we won product of the award of the trade show. And so we had some good contracts last February, March um, previous. And unfortunately, everything shut down. Like it was like nothing obviously anyone had seen before. So we had to move to retail within a month. Everyone was eating at home. So grocery stores were booming, but we didn't get our products on the shelves until um, May of that year. We rushed the packaging, um, which has been a little bit of an issue. So the process packaging um, was our like the first reiteration of it was not executed to the correct mandate process that we um, that we hoped it to be. So it slowed up the revisions we were doing because then we realized instead of just doing it for BC standards, we now had to like ramp it up for national standards but we had to learn the whole system. So we had to reprocess, repackage and reformulate our actual products. So this has actually been a six month delay. So we, we did change everything. Um, but because we were in such a rush and we thought we we're just going to be, um, selling in BC, we didn't actually go into the national standards. So that's been a really 
big um, drawback for us. Um, although because with the repackaging and the reformulation, we were able to still get it back into food service. So we have it now in restaurants. Um, actually, we have some in Manitoba and restaurants too, but it's just not in retail in Manitoba. But we do have it in uh, quite a few restaurants um, now. But we now are in the opposite position because we're waiting for the repackaging to get it um, a national rollout um, for retail stores. Right. So it sounds like it's been a tough time. But on the other hand, is it possible that you've made more progress in a year or so than you were expecting to make in three? I think there was a lot of progress because we were just... I mean, we honestly were working nonstop and everyone in the team is really passionate about what we're doing and our focus. So we've been very lucky that everyone also shares like, you know, this kind of the lion's share of the work actually. So basically it's been um, a very long process, but it is short because, but we've tried to get it to be, um, you know, as quick as possible, but because a lot of other companies are also pushing in the same way. So when you have a lot of competition, you don't really have a choice, but to move at this, at this rate. So what was, was, will you look back that at that someday and say, you know, COVID came and knocked us down, but uh, it was a good thing in the end. Actually, to be honest, COVID did um, was a big, I don't think it actually bumped us up because we did lose a lot of revenue because of COVID in the initial stages when we really did need um, those kind of food service contracts, um, because they were larger ones with large, um, you know, higher level education, um, places. So I think in hindsight, it still did delay us, um, and cause us to, to have struggles definitely and more challenges. Yeah. Um, so you were just starting to get into the restaurants when the restaurants closed. Is that basically how it worked? Yeah. Yeah. Restaurants and, um, like universities. Ah, okay. What was the problem? <laughs> right. Are things sort of back to where they should be now as far as the food service goes? Uh, no, they actually, food service, no, it is not back to, even though the restaurants are open, they're understaffed, they're extremely busy, they don't have time for new product development. Um, it's actually been like a really big challenge getting into the restaurants. Uh, the restaurants don't have as much capability. So we're hoping once the summer's over, it will be a lot easier. I know that um, we've had some success, but it hasn't been as easy because they will, you know, keep pushing it off. Oh, we're too busy this week. It'll have to be next week. We can't do the tasting this week. So there's a lot of different um, challenge that we go through daily. It's not just um, the COVID just doesn't, it's not that it just ended all of a sudden the restaurants are open and it's easy to get into, into them. But we work with sales teams, we're with GFS and Cisco. We work with them, their sales teams, our sales teams, you know, and it's just, they're completely understaffed. I know a lot of restaurants, they are closing two or three days a week. They don't do lunch service because they don't have anyone to service. Okay. So that was quite a setback. Uh, yeah, definitely it's a setback. And I don't think anyone would say that in the food industry that there aren't setbacks for sure, especially if you're a new company is what I'm trying to say. But we have moved forward. We keep moving forward. So right. we're really trying to get to the, get through the process. How does one get into restaurants? I mean, are you talking about chains where someone makes a centralized decision for, you know, a thousand different stores? Or are you talking about one by one to sort of local restaurants? We're in more one by one right now, local type um, restaurants. 
you know, some that have two or three, but the chains generally, because there's a lot of corporate red tape to say, to get into them, it goes through many more levels. Um, and so we have been making, um, some inroads with um, meeting with different restaurant chains as well as presenting to them. Some of them, they take more time as well to decide on if this is something that the restaurant wants to move towards. Do they want a plant-based section? Um, so they seem to be doing a lot more due diligence to that. So we are in talks with a couple of restaurant chains right now that are across Canada. So hopefully um, that will come to fruition. And in the meantime, can you tell us the name of some of the retailers where we could find uh... – uh, your your products? Yes. So, well, in BC, I know we are at Strong's and Fresh Street Markets, IGAs. Um, we're in a lot of smaller ones as well. Um, on the island, we're in Quality Foods. We are Community Co-op in Calgary, all through there. I think there's 25 locations. So there's quite a few um, in Vancouver, Lower Mainland. It changes frequently, and we're adding them all the time. So definitely on where to buy on our website has all the updated um, spots of where you can purchase it. And in Toronto, because I don't know Toronto very well, um, I think you'd have to defer to the website to check out where we are um, sold in Toronto. Right, right. Okay. And uh, the notes I have say you're in uh, 37 different retailers now. I mean, I think most people would say that having done that in the in a, in a less than a year and a half um, is pretty good because the fight for shelf space is so tough. Any tips on how to get into grocery stores? I mean, to be honest, we've gotten into grocery stores because of our sales team have already prior um, connections with people in different grocery stores. So I think that's where um, it helps when you have experienced salespeople to help with the connections. Um, but other than that, it's pretty much cold calling and trying to find category managers and you know showcasing your products to them and seeing if it's something that is unique to their store. But... Um, yeah, I think it's uh, 37 might be the retailers, but I'm sure there are more stores because each one, right, I know, right. for example, Fresh like Community Co-op or, sorry, is it Calgary Co-op has 25 locations. So I think it's, it might be 37 different um, store companies, but they all have their own like number of stores. I used to live in Calgary. I loved the Calgary Co-op stores. They were <laughs> so big and efficient, but also they felt a little friendlier than, oh. than the Safeways out there, so... I'm glad glad you're in there. Oh, and we're in Loblaws as well in uh, in Vancouver. So I know there's quite a few um, additional ones. I know that was one of our first ones. So we we're, we're moving along for sure into um, trying to get them into more locations. Okay, well, I wish you uh, wish, wish you luck with that. Um, one of the other interesting things about about your company, Modern Plant Based Foods, is that you're a public company. I could go out and buy shares in you tomorrow on the Canadian Securities Exchange. I think that's still pretty unusual for companies that are just starting out. So can you tell us a little bit about your journey there and why you decided to go public? Um, well, we decided to go public because we were, um, we kind of went through the financing process. Obviously, as a new startup, you need a significant amount of funds just to operate, um, to start with, um, you know, your operations and, your cash flows are going to be limited because you're not getting revenue and because it's almost like it's like a tech startup company. We are 
reinventing the food and it is uh, technology. So in that sense, I think that's where there have been quite a few new startup companies in the food sector. I know like 10 off the top of my head um, that have started, have gone public because they also need um, financing, which then helps because you have two types of currency, you have cash, um, but you also have stock to be able to issue and to incentivize incentivize employees. The stock options is a great way because you might not have enough cash to attract enough talent. So you can offer them that to be a part of like your growing company. So that's something that's been really um, important for us. And also we, as you can see, we're modern plant-based foods and we've had three acquisitions in a year, which has really um, helped us to be more of like a plant-based um, overarching company for these four subsidiaries. So we have Kids Kitchen, which is the soup company that we acquired in February of 2021. And it's all plant-based foods. And they're um, in many different um, retailers across Canada now as well. And it's all healthy food, you know, no cholesterol, that type of stuff. Um, and then we have a pop chip that we purchased from the U.S. called Snacks from the Sun. And also it is a healthy chip. So people still want a snack and they want to have these you know, savory, guilty pleasures, but it's a pop chip, low, cal low calories, low fat, um, baked, they're pretty healthy. Um, so that's something they're all 100% plant based with the ingredients that we used really clean uh, ingredient profile. So right now those are sold uh, exclusively in the US, and they will be in Canada in October. So we've just ordered, um, we just finished the rebranding the packaging and those will be up hopefully in the grocery stores um, in Vancouver. And we have uh, two brick and mortar stores that we purchased as well to showcase our products, but also to um, have a, a large range of plant-based products that are more towards like just your health and wellness. So we also, you know, have ready to make ready-made foods there that we create um, as well as many different, um, different companies that we um, sell their products as well. I saw that you were a, a, a fully integrated food <laughs> food company, and I was impressed by that. Yes, yeah, so I think like if I didn't, if we didn't go public, we would never have those acquisitions for one because um, we wouldn't have the the funds to be able to purchase those and to to kind of integrate it into our company. And so we've had all the founders of each of the companies uh, have stayed with us. So it's been a great process, and I think going public has really been beneficial. But it's also, you know, it's not for everybody because it is, there's a lot more work. It's almost, you know, there's a ton of back end work as well. And it is costly keeping up with all the fees and everything. So there are pros and cons, definitely. Would you have done any of the acquisitions using stock as opposed to cash? Is that part of the, uh, of the lure of being public? Yes, definitely. So I think now, um, you know, yeah, so some prefer to have some stock and some have all stock, some want cash, but a little bit of stock. So every deal is different. So you would talk to whichever acquisition we're looking at one right now, who knows um, where that will end up. But we are looking at a combination of stock and cash for this one. So it just it depends on what motivations the seller has and what their reasons are for selling. Right. And the the two brick and mortar stores, the the, the modern wellness bar, is that what that's called? Yeah. Yes. And, and tell us about 
it, it's it's like you have your own laboratory, right? You you can test anything you want, see what's working, see what's selling, see what's out there. Uh, how has that uh, helped the overall business? I think it's been really positive. We actually use it more like a testing facility. So we have our facility um, in uh, Vancouver. And what we do there is all, all the R&D. We bring it for test marketing and uh, we sell it at the store. We kind of we get feedback on it. You know, some of the items we think are great, but not the whole market will think is great, right? So for us, it's been really great for us to actually see the difference in what consumers think and what our company thinks. Because I do know that I will taste, you know, products. I don't know, maybe I'm just really hungry when I'm tasting them. But I'm like, they're delicious. And then it's like someone will try like, oh, it needs a bit of this. It needs a bit more of that. And so it was really helpful for us because we have a wider range of it, almost like a testing ground. Right. So the... the did you have to specially train the staff at Modern Wellness Bar to sort of, I mean, they have to be listening all the time, right? And hopefully engaging consumers as much as possible. It's not just a retail store. That is not easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we try our best. But, yeah. <laughs> but it's working, sort of? It's a work in progress, always. <laughs> staff okay. is our biggest challenge, definitely. So it is always a work in progress. I mean, it, it, but but it's, it's, it's a great idea because I'm not sure if, too many other food producers that have their own, uh, you know, retail outlet, you know, they might sell, they might have their own little shop that sells their own stuff out the back door of the plant, but they haven't created a real retail environment to bring in its, its type of customers and offer them a whole lot of different things and, and follow the trends that way. So that, that seems pretty exciting. Yeah, no, it is great. And as far as going public, this is my last question about going public, probably, um, was it that was there a, a retail demand for the shares by individual investors, or is it a case of a couple broker dealers coming to you and saying, "Hey, hey, we can offload X million shares if you want"? No, no, nothing like that. It was there was just um, like when we did go public, there was a huge demand in plant-based foods. We're only the second company in Canada to go public in a plant-based company, as a plant-based company. So at the time, it was just like huge demand all over the world we're looking for plant-based um, companies to invest in. And I think ours is a great one because, you know, we are continually innovating new products at, like all the time. And we're, it almost is like a technology company. We're constantly enhancing, researching new recipes. We're trying to have provide the highest level of nutrients with protein, vitamins, minerals, and fiber so that these are the best foods that you can eat. Um, so with us, we develop, improve, our products are not uh, stagnant. This is what it will be. But we are almost like a technology food company that is going to really enhance the market for plant-based food. So I feel like we do. We are quite different than a lot of the other ones out there. So Tara, what would you what would you say are your goals for the business now? Where would you like to be? I'll ask you the standard five years, but you can use any time frame you like. What what would you like your company to be doing, and how would you like people to be looking at your company? I mean, we have a three-year plan right now, and so for the next three years, I really want to grow each division of the company that we have. So I feel like there's a lot more demand for these products, and I think that we want to instill education into um, consumers and understand that we are focused on excellence as a company, and in this category of plant-based products, we don't want to 
have any compromises. We want to be able to have the quality, the taste, nutrition, texture, and we want people to know that we are committed to this. And, you know, with our innovation and the ability to have a, a large range and a cross section of portfolio of products, I feel like this is really important for consumers to know that we're not just, you know, only meat analogs, but we are looking at all of health and wellness and everything that comes along with plant based as well. So we want to grow. For the next three years, we have a good base. Um, we are, we do have a few more products that are in the queue that are definitely going to be a part of this mix. Um, and we do have a cheese line that we are very close to mar to market on, which is a non dairy cheese. So they've um, been there's a restaurant um, in town that actually uh, has been sampling them out to all their consumers because we did quite a large run, and they've had really great feedback on that as well. So we're just um, hoping to grow, educate, and um, innovate this food food chain. And innovation is, is really interesting because as you were talking, it helped, it helped me articulate a question that I've had for a while, but I never really put the words together to ask it of anybody or even of myself. And it's that obviously right now you're developing new protein recipes to supplant or to create analogs of meat-based meals that we already eat and enjoy. But surely as we develop this technology and, and, and further refine our use of new ingredients and better ingredients, there's an opportunity to do new stuff, to say, hey, this is really delicious. It's not chicken, it's not beef, but it is something new that people are going to love. Is, is that going to happen? Um, I, definitely, that's what we think is going to happen because a lot of vegetarians or vegans or anyone who doesn't like to eat animal proteins, they don't actually want to have a burger that bleeds fake blood. So, um, you know, uh, some of the plant-based products will have like a chemical in there that will allow the, the meat when it's cooked to have like this fake kind of blood, but it's been, it's like a chemical based in the lab. It just seems very odd to me why you would want that. Um, but a lot of them don't even want that texture or that type of feeling. Um, this is like a new food group almost, um, that I think people are going to realize like right now with national standards, we've had to, um, recreate the, um, the products to be the same as animal products. I'm not sure if you know that, but if there's anything that's a meat analog, um, let's say a beef burger has, 20 grams of protein, our burger also needs to have the exact same as a meat because they're doing a direct comparison. So we do have that the same, but it's not exactly the exact same texture because we have had um, a lot of comments from consumers that they want, um, they want to have a new product and not just something that is completely the same as beef. You used the phrase earlier, the future of food, and it sounds like that really is what, what, what you're building, what you're helping to build. Yeah, I think with our innovation, I think this is the future of food. I think the new supply chain um, of food is going to be um, plant-based, more sustainable. You're, it's going to be more local. We try to use as much local ingredients as possible. Um, we, when we ship our products, um, right, right now we're on the West Coast of the U.S. only because we are producing in the, in the U.S. only in the West Coast. So we are looking for another manufacturer on the East Coast because shipping 3,000 miles doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. Um, so we are looking in different um, areas to be able to produce the products in those areas so that um, it also helps with um, uh, transport logistics and the environment. Right. 
And I just wanted to ask you about uh, one of your sidelines. You're currently a mentor with uh, the Forum for Women Entrepreneurs. And I'm just wondering if you can tell me about uh, a key issue that, uh, that the, 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 the people you're mentoring are dealing with these days and you know, maybe how you're helping them work through. So what's the key issue that's keeping your entrepreneurs up at night? I have had, I'm not sure if I end up getting all the mentees that have this issue or if this is a, a key um, challenge with um, some of the entrepreneurs when they're starting their businesses. But I do note that um, the financial process and understanding how to cost things and what your gross margin should be and overall financial aspect of the business seems to be um, a big obstacle that needs to be like reworked. So I generally do work on that side of things with all of my mentees. So, um, because I guess that is my, my area of specialty, it kind of ends up falling towards me, but I do notice that a lot of them don't have the experience and they also don't understand, um, wh what their margins should be. So they will charge less for their products. That seems to be a common theme. Um, and they don't understand there are many different costs and things that do come up that are really important to note in their business. So, so pricing is, 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 is a big problem. Pricing and all the additional costs that will come up that they don't actually incorporate into the business. So they need to be able to not only price their products properly, um, but they also need to account for everything else that, um, you know, is a part of the business that they might not understand or they might not, they may have overlooked or they didn't realize that it was something that was important to add into their business. So, you know, with starting out entrepreneurs, they're just looking at kind of the basic costs, but they don't really dive deep into what the overall um, structure should be. Right. So what are the f few of the other sort of built in costs that, that, that entrepreneurs tend not to be aware of that they should be uh, accounting for when they set pricing? Well, when they set pricing, I think one of the things is they basically will put that there's obviously line items of many different expenses. I, I don't know if you want me to go through those, but um, there's, they usually just state their cost and I mean, their, their price or the revenue amount that they're going to get for each, if it's a service or um, a product. And a common one would be, logistical charges and things like driving and how do you incorporate when it gets shipped. So those are varied as well until you have a set contract. So a lot of those charges, they can fluctuate so quickly. And, um, one of the, one of the ones that I was just working with, um, that actually took all the profit out just because of the fluctuation in those costs. Right, right. So it's good to have a, an accountant as a mentor. <laughs> yeah, I think if you don't have that background, it's definitely great to have some accounting um, overview of what your structure is uh, looking like. So where's the line? How far will you go in advising people as a mentor before you say, you know what, accountants get X hundred dollars an hour for this? Um, no, I, I do about like each mentee will have about uh, two hours a month. So we usually go through their business and I have them for 12 months through the So it's, it's decent um, amount of time. And I'm also available to answer questions at any time. So if somebody does want to, you know, throw a quick question over by email, I'm very like open to doing that as well. Right. Okay. And have you learned any tricks for, for, for 
helping to make sure that the that, that the entrepreneurs you mentor that they actually sort of learn and grow from the process. Obviously, you can't expect them to, you know, to to, to do everything that you might suggest. But have you figured out a way to try and 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 just make sure that 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 they're learning from each encounter? Yeah, definitely. We go through. Um, their set of challenges or their questions of um, concern that they may have. And then we, I also give them a little bit of homework generally just to, so they can report back so that I do think it is definitely a learning process because they have to actually dive a little deeper and figure a few things out. I love it. So you might think you want an accountant as a mentor, but they may give you homework. So (laughs) yes, there always has to be homework. (laughs) <laughs> I think that's great. Tara Haddad, thank you so much for chatting with us about modern plant-based foods and your journey and the incredible things that you're cooking up. I made that part up myself. Yes. Um, I, it's it's an exciting story. Um, I, I believe it is the future of food, and uh, I wish you good luck in everything you're doing. Before we depart can we ask you for one more we'll, we'll talk to Tara the mentor here one more actionable piece of advice that entrepreneurs can take away from this conversation and put and and put into effect in their business right now what what what, what tip would you give them for that well I think the the big thing for me would be um, just really not to give up because I know there's been many times I've wanted to give up because of delays or there's something that's happened where it just feels like it's almost too much. But the best thing I would say is just step back, you know, give yourself 48 hours and then really see, is it something that is a big problem that you can't overcome or if it's something, because I feel like problems that come about in a business, you just give it a little bit of time and it kind of gets your allows yourself to regroup. So um, that's kind of what I've learned, you know, persevere, don't give up. And even when you feel like it, just give yourself a bit of time and then you usually see a little, a lot more clarity. Um, so that's kind of what I would say. So just, just take some time, breathe, relax, and, and things may clarify. Sometimes you need less time, depends on how big the problem is. But I have constant problems. I would say like the majority of my day feels like I'm problem solving and putting out fires. Um, it is just a constant process. And I think that's one thing people don't realize. And they think, Oh, well, there's so many obstacles. How is this possible? But it really is. It is that. So you got to just push through it. Um, and as, as hard as it is, I know, um, like that's a very general example of, you know, how to talk about it, but they're, um, like from employees to production to every part of the company, there's always a setback of some sort. So you just have to figure out how to problem solve through it. Right. Okay. And one final question. Is it possible that I could buy any of your products online? Yes, definitely. I um, forgot to mention that. <laughs> we sell all of our products um, through the Modern Wellness Bar. So the e-commerce is set up for that. Um, so you can find all our products plus a lot more you know, great health and wellness products on there as well. So modernwellnessbar.com. Fantastic. Tara, thank you so much. Thank you for your story of innovation and resilience and and, and perseverance through very tough times. And we're going to follow your story very carefully. Thank you very much. It was great to be here. Thanks, Tara. We'll talk again. Thank you for joining us this week in the Startup Canada podcast, a weekly show dedicated to unlocking the potential of every entrepreneur. Stay tuned another minute to hear the latest startup community news and the upcoming events lineup, including our hashtag startup chats on Twitter every Wednesday and Friday at 12 noon Eastern time. 
I sometimes show up there too. Until next week, I'm your Startup Canada podcast host, Rick Spence. 